15, December 15, 2016, at VIHE in Vrindavan. And we're going to be discussing Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 3, Chapter 1, Text 17 through 24. Sanyugata Kaurava Punyalabo Gajaya Vatirta Pada Parani Anvakramat Punya Chikrikshayorvam Adishtito Yani Sahasramurti By his piety, Vidura achieved the advantages of the pious Kauravas. After leaving Hastinapur, he took shelter of many places of pilgrimage, which are the Lord's lotus feet. With the desire to gain a high order of pious life, he traveled to holy places where thousands of transcendental forms of the Lord are situated. Pureshu Purnya Payan Vikunjeshu Apankatoeshu Saritsahashu Anantalingai Samalangiteshu Chakratatirtayatanishivanya He began to travel alone, thinking only of Krishna, to various holy places like Ayodhya, Dwaraka, and Mathura. He traveled where the air, hill, orchard, river, and lake are all pure and sinless, and where the forms of the unlimited decorate the temples. Thus he performed the pilgrim's progress. Gampayata medya vivikta vritti sara pluto da shayano varuta alakshita svayabhaduta vesho bratani chere harito shanani. While so traversing the earth, he simply performed duties to please the Supreme Lord Hari. His occupation was pure and independent. He was constantly sanctified by taking his bath in holy places. Although he was in the dress of a mendicant and had no hairdressing nor a bed on which he lie, thus he was always unseen by his various relatives. Itam Rajam Bharatam Evarsham Kalena Yavagatavam Prabhasam Thus, when he was in the land of Bharatvarsha, traveling to all the places of pilgrimage, he visited Prabhashetra. At that time, Maharaj Yudhishthira was the emperor and held the world under one military strength and one flag. Tatrata Shushrava Suridhyanashtim Vanam Yatave Nujavani Samshayam Samsparjaya Dagnamatanushochan Saraswatim Pratyagiyaya Tushnim At the place of pilgrimage at Prabhasa, it came to his knowledge that all his relatives had died due to violent passion. Just as an entire forest burns due to fire produced by the friction of bamboos. After this, he proceeded west where the river Saraswati flows. 
Sentiam que a Deusa do Sol menos já Pritora Tagne as vidas que evadio Tiltam sudasya gavana urbuhasya Tachana devasya tahashisele On the bank of the river Saraswati, there were 11 places of pilgrimage, namely Trita, Ushana, Manu, Pritu, Agni, Ashita, Bayu, Sudasha, Go, Uva, and Shrasradeva. Vidura visited all of them and continued performing rituals. Anyani Cheva Dvija Deva Devai Kritani Nanayatanani Vishnu Pratyanga Mukhyam Kitamandirani Yadarshana Krishna Vanusmaranti There were also many other temples of various forms of the Supreme Personality Godhead Vishnu established by great sages and demigods. These temples were marked with the chief emblems of the Lord and they remind one always of the original personality of Godhead Lord Krishna. Tatastu ati varja surastram riddham so vijya matyam kulunjangalamscha kalena tavadyamunam rupetya tatro davam bhagavatas tadasha That after he passed through very wealthy provinces like Surat, Siberia, and Matsya, and through western India, known as Kuru Jangala, at last he reached the bank of the Yamuna, where he happened to meet Uddhava, the devotee of Krishna. So, if we go back to the first verse in this section that we're doing today, 17. You'll see here that Srila Prabhupada writes in the purport that Vidura must have been pious to take birth in the Kuru family, uh, but he wasn't willing to see the Lord directly. You, know, you, you think he leaves home, he's just going to go see Krishna. But he thinks, I've become too sinful. I've been associating with the Kurus, I'm too contaminated, I have to purify myself first before I can see Krishna. And Srila Prabhupada writes uh, extensively in this purport, I'd say this, this purport is one of the most uh, significant in this section, that he says that it's not possible to see the Lord as long as one is sinful. He says, to the degree we have entered into the service of the Lord or to the proportion to which our lives are free from sins, we can perceive the Lord. So those are a positive and negative way of saying the same thing. Positively, however much you're in the service of the Lord. Negatively, however much you're free from sins. So he felt that he had to get free from sins by going to places of pilgrimage. <coughs> But this is not. And he went, yes? But was he sinful? Was he actually sinful? Yes, yeah, because sinful means doing sinful activity. Well... He felt that by, as Prabhupada writes here, that by his association of the diplomatic Dhritarashtra and Duryodhan, he lost his piety and wasn't fit to associate with the Lord. Now, was that a subjective feeling on Vidura's part, or was it objective? I would say it was subjective, not objective. But, that the great soul set an example for the rest of us. 
Just like before we go in the altar, we take a bath, we have clean clothes. We don't. Uh, there's, uh, of course, this story when there was the altercation between Lord Nityananda and Shivananda Sane, and one of Shivananda Sane's nephews, I believe it was, was very disturbed and went ahead to see Lord Chaitanya. And he offered obeisances without removing his upper cloth. Because just like uh, traditionally, the men, when they go worship the deity, they don't wear an upper cloth. You know, the, in South India, they, they take the chatter and tie it around their waist. So, he didn't do that. He was still wearing his upper cloth. And the devotees started to criticize, and Lord Chaitanya said, no, his mind is very disturbed. Leave him alone. But this, this concept that we don't go in front of the Lord if we're impure. You know, there's all these uh, seva aparads. Yes? Don't, don't go in the temple with your shoes. You know, don't go if there's been a death in your family. Some more seva aparads. Like, don't, don't uh, belch in front of the deity. Don't go right after sexual intercourse. So there's... There's all these seva aparads that don't go in, in to see the Lord if you're impure. I mean, even the great devotee, even like the gopis, they like to, they go dress nicely. Of course, sometimes they're so anxious to see Krishna that they dress not so nicely. But Krishna appreciates the gopis dressing not so nicely, not because he wants people to see him in a disheveled state, but because their natural inclination is to dress nicely before they see Krishna, and their disheveled state is indicative that they're so eager to see him uh, that they don't, they don't even notice. It's not that they're intentionally disheveled. Or it's not that they just say, I know I'm disheveled and I don't care. They're, they're not aware. They're not aware that they're putting their, you know, belt on their ankle. They don't they just don't notice. It's dragging on the ground as they're running and they don't they're not aware. So Krishna's very pleased that they're so eager to see him. But generally the, the devotee wants to be pure to see the Lord. So Vidura is thinking like this. He's thinking I I've messed up. You know, I've I've associated with these people for for too long. Now, I think it's very interesting uh, in this purport where Srila Prabhupada's quoting, and I think you mentioned this verse yesterday, 728, Teshan that only people who are free from sinful activities, who've done pious activities in this life and in previous lives can see the Lord. And here Srila Prabhupada says something very interesting, this purport. He says, only those who are pure devotees, those who follow the regulated principles. Can everybody find this in 17? 17. 17. Those who follow the regulated principles of religious life as prescribed in the scriptures are able to engage themselves in karma yoga and then jnana yoga and thereafter, by pure meditation, can understand pure consciousness. When God consciousness is developed, one can take advantage of the association of pure devotees. 
Sayan Mahatseva Bibra Punyatirta Nishesh So Prabhupada's giving here what we often term is the yoga ladder. And karma yoga means, first of all, you have to have regulated principles of religious life. So first you have to have karma. So if you don't already have karma, you can't do karma yoga. In other words, if you're doing vikarma, you can't take your vikarma and offer it to Krishna. Of course, Prabhupada was very kind, and he said that the alcoholic can meditate on Krishna in the taste of his wine. But that's a little irregular. That, that's not a general Shastra injunction that you should be wine on and meditate on Krishna in the wine. But generally the way it goes is first you do you do karma. Karma means varnashram dharma. You do your duty according to your varna, which is your occupation. And your duty according to your ashrama, which is your place in the natural biological life cycle. So varnashram dharma just says if you're young, you have this duty. If you're youthful, you have this duty. If you're middle-aged, you have this duty. If you're old, you have this duty. And depending on your occupation, you also have some duty to the Lord. So you're doing that. And Varnashram Dharma means you're doing it to please the Lord, but you're trying to enjoy the fruits of it. So you're running a country, and you're running a country to please the Lord, but you're also running the country because you want the honor and prestige and the power of running the country. Karmakanda, is it before? This is Karmakanda. Karma is Karmakanda. Same. So from there, you go to Karma Yoga. Karma Yoga means you do exactly the same things that you're already doing in Karma but you give up the fruits. Karma Pala Tyaga. So here, I'm being a grahasta because I want to enjoy family life with Krishna at the center. But I want to enjoy family life. If there's no Krishna at the center, it's not Varnashram Dharma at all. <laughs> you understand? I'm studying, and I'm studying the Shastra, I'm preparing for death in a way that is connected with the Lord, but I'm mostly interested in my own happiness in this world. Karma yoga, I'm giving up the idea of being happy in this world and the next world. My purpose is liberation. And Krishna says that at the end of giving up the fruits of action, you will get peace. So karma yoga will bring you peace. How does it do that? Usually we work to get a particular fruit. We work to get a particular result that we're going to enjoy, even if it's a God-centered fruit. Still, the purpose is my enjoyment. In karma yoga, you work and you give up the fruit. 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 Over and over and over and over and every... And eventually, if every time you worked you gave the fruit to Krishna, 
eventually you would become peaceful because all of our anxieties is about the fruit. Will I get the fruit at all? Because we all have experience of working for a fruit that doesn't we just don't get. Yes? Yes. I, I've been emailing my inbox, you know, I've been corresponding with this lady devotee, and I really love her, but now she's not corresponding with me anymore. She stopped correspond she stopped writing back. What should I do? You know, so we worked hard for the fruit, and then it seems like there isn't going to be any. Or we're in anxiety that I'll get the fruit and I won't like it. You know, either I won't get it, or I'll work really hard to get it, and then once I'm there, I won't like it. You know, I'll work really hard to buy a house in India and live in India, and maybe once I live in India, I'll decide I don't like living in India. And I would rather live someplace else. And I say, why did I buy this house? You understand? So we're always worried, will I really like the fruit? And then we're also in anxiety of what's going to happen when the fruit is taken away. Because it always is. Yes? So if you get the fruit and you like the fruit, so either you worry, will I get it? Or you worry, will I like it? Or you worry, when, will I, when and how will I lose it? This is so your life is filled with anxiety. Karma kanda, it's full of anxiety. The karma palatyag, if you give up the fruit, if you're not working for the fruit, you're doing the work for its own sake, because it's what's meant to be done to keep you in balance and harmony in the universe, and the fruit goes to Krishna. So then you become peaceful. All the, all the causes of anxiety are then gone. Because you weren't working for the fruit anyway. So then your mind becomes peaceful. Prabhupada says from karma yoga, you can do yan yoga. Now by the way, it is also possible, though not mentioned in this purport, to go directly from karma to yan yoga also. That's mentioned in the fifth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, where Krishna says that the results of karma yoga and the results of sankhya, which is jnana yoga, are the same. The purpose of jnana yoga is also peace. How does jnana yoga achieve peace? You meditate on the nature of the world. It's the same thing. You're getting detachment. But instead of getting detachment by acting and giving, you know, like in karma yoga, you cook and then you give somebody else the food, basically. I mean, it's interesting, even in karmakanda, that's there to some extent. Just like in karmakanda, it's advised, if you have a varna, you better be in the grihastashram. The brahmacharis, the varna is your occupation, so students retired and dead people don't have occupations. Right? Only people of occupations are married people in the varnashram system. And then you're giving away at least some of your fruits to somebody. If you're working a job, you're giving at least some of the money to your spouse. You're cooking a meal, you're giving at least some of the food to your spouse. The modern society, where people have a job and a home and they cook, and everything's only for themselves, was just unheard of in the Vedic society. It just didn't happen. 
you know, if your spouse died or something, you still had your extended family or you became renounced or something. But this idea that I'm working just, just for myself, I don't give away any of the fruits to anybody, is, is, is really, it's, it's not the concept even of karmakanda. So in Gyan Yoga, you're becoming peaceful because you meditate on the nature of the world. You meditate on the, on the fact of what is this body, what is this mind, am I really this body, am I really this mind, how everything we work for in this world causes suffering, etc., etc., etc. And by meditating on it, you become detached. And, and with that detachment, you stop trying to enjoy the world, and you become peaceful. Then Prabhupada says you can do meditation, right? Which he doesn't work, use the Sanskrit word here, but that's Jnana Yoga. And you can also come to Dhyan Yoga directly through Karma Yoga, though it's not mentioned in this particular purport. Now, although you can go to Dhyan Yoga or Karma Yoga directly from Karma, it's almost impossible to go to Dhyan Yoga directly from Karma. The reason is that to do meditation, you require yes. peace. You can't meditate if your mind's not peaceful. It's not possible, as I'm sure many of us have discovered. And what does it mean that the mind's peaceful? It means that the mind is in sattva guna. So karma yoga and jnana yoga put the mind into sattva guna, after which jnana yoga is possible. Now, it is possible to do directly jnana yoga to become peaceful, but it's very difficult. So there's a lot of people today teaching forms of meditation to people who are not even in karma, they're in vikarma. <laughs> and so it's become very popular today to teach jnana yoga to people who are in vikarma. <laughs> yes, exactly. But it's very difficult for somebody in vikarma to do jnana. Because first in Jan is Yam Niyam, right? In Astanga Yoga. So these people aren't doing Yam Niyam. They can't, they can't do it. So Jnana Yoga is mechanically you put your mind fully into Sattva To have the patience and the equanimity and the detachment to put your mind into the mode of goodness mechanically is very difficult if you don't already have the peace of Yana Yoga or Karma Yoga. Then Prabhupada goes on to say, from meditation, one can understand pure consciousness. So this leaves you, you get realization, so you realize the self and God. And then when you add pure devotee to this, then you can get bhakti. And that's what Shri Prabhupada is saying here in this purport. So we talked a little bit about this yesterday, how that generally Krishna arranges the material world like this. Do karma, do varnashram. From varnashram, you'll have the piety in varnashram that you'll want to do karma yoga, which will give you the peace to talk about philosophy. Most people can't even talk about philosophy. They're not peaceful enough. 
that will give you the peace to do meditation and that will give you the actual experience of the soul and God. So we talked about this yesterday, right? How Sattva Gun gives you a happiness, gives you a peace, which leads to God and self-realization. So Vidura's method, however, was a little different, of course. He engaged directly in bhakti. And what's nice about bhakti, and again, we discussed this yesterday, is that you don't need to go through the yoga level. Now, we should say that if you've gone through the yoga ladder, your adhikar for doing bhakti will be higher. If you're already in sattva gun, your ability to do bhakti will be much better. It won't be so much of a struggle with the mind. The mind will already be peaceful. However, that's not required because bhakti yoga itself will do everything that jnana yoga, jnana yoga, and karma yoga do. And Krishna said that. He said, if the yogi is better than all of these. Yes? He said, be a yogi. The, the real yogi. Yogi now api sarvesham marketenantaratmina shodavam bhajateyomam samayuktatmamataha. So the yogi who's meditating on the Lord automatically achieves this. First of all, if you're meditating on the Lord, you naturally want to act in a pious and selfless way. It's just natural. Even if you're not following all the rules of your varna and ashram which is pretty hard in 2016, frankly. I don't meet very many perfect brahmacharis, perfect rahastas, perfect anythings. Do you? Any of you meet my perfect brahmanas? There may be a few, but it's not so many. But naturally you want to act piously. Naturally you give the fruits of your action to Krishna. Naturally you discuss philosophy about Krishna that detaches you from the world. And naturally you meditate on Krishna which, if done properly, will have the side effect of putting your mind in its natural state of sattva good. And that can be done much more quickly. And you can say, well, why isn't that prescribed for everybody all the time? Because we see practically that most people aren't particularly interested in doing that. If you go and preach to everybody in the world, just do directly bhakti and love God, love a personal God, most people aren't even open to that idea. Whereas if you say to people, you know, you can get enlightened, you can get liberated, you can find inner peace, oh yeah, I want that. If you say you can love God, they're like, well, why should I do that? So Vidura's idea, again, was he wasn't going to go through this yoga ladder, that he was going to immediately do bhakti. And what anga of bhakti is he doing? Padasevanam, yes, visiting the holy places. And he's also doing smadanam, which is a kind of dhyana. So he's doing padasevanam and smadanam. He's meditating on the Lord while he's visiting the holy places, and it would be reasonable to assume that he's also doing some other savas there. He's probably, or doing vandanam, he's probably offering prayers, he's probably offering obeisances, uh, he's probably hearing from the sadhus there. I mean, when we read about the other things that he's doing, thinking only of Krishna, so we read that, so he's doing smadanam. Um, 
said he performed duties to please the Supreme Lord. It doesn't say specifically which duties. But we can imagine that he was doing some of the other duties of bhakti in order to please the Lord. And in this way, he qualified himself to see the Lord directly. All right, what I... I'd like to ask, how does one do that? How does, how does doing bhakti qualify us to see the Lord directly? Some thoughts? Because it's not different from Krishna. Okay. It, it turns our focus in Krishna's direction. Okay, yes. But here he moves all the things and we develop relationship. Yes. I'm sorry, it's so noisy out there. What? Yes. Yes. Which is the whole problem. The whole essence of sin, really, is that we're not loving Krishna. We're loving a false. We're loving a false idea of ourself. We're not even really loving ourself. We don't even know who we are. Like Sanatana Goswami said, I'm, I'm supposed to be very learned. I don't know who I am. So we're we're just trying. We're just loving ourselves, but the self that we're loving is some skin and muscles and blood and, you know, hair. Huh? And the mind. Which, if we think about any of those things, none of them are particularly lovable. Right? I mean, if you, if you just saw them as, the, you know, separate from the soul, if you just saw some hair lying on the ground, you know, so you can... You can love your, especially the ladies. They may love their hair, you know, brushing. But if you, you see some hair, you're not. It's not lovable. You know, I'm loving my skin. But you, again, if you just see some skin, <laughs> and even the mind, you know, we. I love my personality. I love my mind. But really, do we love our mind? Would any of us want to take every thought that we had today and post it on the internet for everybody to see? Probably not. So it's, we're, we're loving our self, but we're loving the wrong self. We're not loving the true self. We're loving the false self. And so bhakti rekindles our love of the self of the self, the paramatma, which of course also makes us love our real self, which Krishna says is very lovable. He says you relish and rejoice in the self. And so it automatically solves all of these problems. When we fall in love with Krishna, we want to give him the results of what we're doing. We want to think about him, his name, form, qualities, and pastimes, and we want to meditate on him. And then naturally, the mind goes to its state of sattva. So all of these are achieved. And of course, it's interesting that bhakti is both the means and the goal. Right? It's the means and the goal. 
So why do you think Vidura thought, what was, you know, we mentioned this already, so why did Vidura think, I can't just immediately go to Krishna, I have to go on pilgrimage first? Yeah, many things involved. But one of the things one can say is that the Kurvas was feeding him. Kurvas were feeding him, yes. Yeah. Here we are hearing that he feels that his piety was uh, not sufficient or he became contaminated by the association of the Ravana He felt he was not ready to meet the Lord personally because he didn't have this deep attachment maybe for personal qualities in Hmm. It's interesting though that he's going to places of pilgrimage where there are... What places of pilgrimage is he going to? They're all connected with with Krishna. So in one sense, he is meeting Krishna. He's going to places, especially where there's temples of deities. So he's meeting Krishna in the form of the deity. Yes? And Prabhupada talks in this purport about there's archimurtis or forms of the Lord which can be appreciated by the common man. He said, even though we can't see the deity as Krishna, if we are sinful or we don't have love, which is again a positive negative way of saying the same thing, he says, even an ordinary person can see the deity. And we see that all over the world, ordinary people are accustomed to going to some place of worship. And also, maybe Vidra was guilty that he hasn't moved out of the association for a very long time. Mm, that he felt he should have left sooner. Yeah, much earlier. Much earlier, yeah. Definitely, it, it seems like that, yeah. And uh, he was serving not exactly the proper Lord, so he wanted to engage in the service. He wanted to, yes, okay, you could say that, that he felt that his, his actions were not really service, and therefore he felt he had to do some service first for the Lord before he could approach the Lord. I mean, it just reminds me, it's, it's stated in the Nectar Devotion that whenever we visit the deity or a saintly person, we should bring some gift. We don't usually do this in ISKCON. I don't usually do this. It's not that every time I go to the temple I bring something. Generally, I think bringing myself is, is good enough. <laughs> I'm so proud. I think, Krishna, I'm here, you know. One, devote, one uh, second generation devotee told me how she had a dream once of how she went to, she was seeing Radha and Krishna and their associates and Radharani looked at her and said, so what have you brought? <laughs> and she said her dream, she looked in her hands and they were empty and, uh, and then she woke up. So this was the, the standard is that you bring something. In other words, you're, you're there, you've done some service, you have the the right to come see the Lord because you're, you're, you're offering something. And I know that at least sometimes when I've gone to visit uh, different sadhus in India who I don't normally see, people will say, oh, you make sure you bring something. Bring a chadar, bring, you know, bring a flower, bring, bring something, don't go empty-handed. You know, when I was growing up, with, if somebody had a party at their house, when people would go to the party, they would all bring a gift. You know, it might be a, not just not a birthday party, just a party. It's any kind of party. People would bring something. They'd bring, bring some gift to the home of the host. 
So this is, it's the same, I'm not saying we should all necessarily start doing this, but Prabhupada talked about, you know, every time you see the deity, you can bring like a little rice or a little flower, which would be a little strange. Not F-L-O-W-E-R, F-L-O-U-R. If we all, you know, just took a handful of wheat flour and just kind of put it in. <laughs> but, but you'll see that a lot of, you were asking about Indians, you see a lot of Indians do this. Which is, this is why there's all those garland sellers outside the temple. Because the Indians are trained that if I come to the temple, I have to bring something. I have to bring a garland. I have to bring some flowers. I have to, I have to give something. And this is, of course, one reason why, which you brought up, why in so much of the world that our congregation has a large number of Indians in it. Because when they come to the temple, they bring something. And the others don't. I mean, that, that's just the truth. So, you know, people from other cultures, they'll come to the temple and it's, they're usually empty-handed. In fact, they come to take something. Let me take some prasadam, let me take some this, let me take some that, and they don't give anything. And the Indians are generally trained to give, to come and give something. Yes, am I correct? It's one of the prime differences that you see, that the Indians have this idea that religion means I go to the temple, I see the deity, and I have to give something. Of course, there's many things one can give. But so Vidura, yeah, I think that was a very good point, that he felt, I haven't been doing any service for Krishna. How can I just go and, and see him when I've been working for the enemy, so to speak? I mean, Duryodhana accused him of that. He said, you've been working for the enemy. And Vidura kind of thought about it in reverse. <laughs> Vidura thought about it and, yeah, I've been working for the enemy. I've been working for you. And I should be working for Krishna, so... That's, that's another point. Although it's not mentioned here, it's, it's, a, it's a very good point. And isn't that what Srila Prabhupada is doing with us? He's preparing us to see Krishna. So what I'd like you to do is um, you can work in maybe twos and threes, maybe you three and you two and you three and you, you, you two and you three or something like that. I'd like you to make um, a list together of how Srila Prabhupada and Iskhan is trying to do for us essentially the same thing that Vidura was trying to do by going on pilgrimage. Okay? So we see that the purpose is that Vidura was, was going to all the places of pilgrimage, that Srila Prabhupada was trying to establish those. And there's a lot of emphasis in these verses about the deity, about seeing the deity. And Srila Prabhupada talks a lot about seeing the deity, especially in text 17, 18, and 23. And I'd like to 
So what are, what are the benefits that one gets? What are the results, we could say, from seeing the deity, particularly, and holy places? There's a connection, okay. Anybody else? Purification. Can you be a little bit more specific? Um, just like, you know, just by seeing the deity, our sins are, you know, removed. Yes, in fact, Robert says it removes your sins automatically. Yeah, would have any idea how that happens? Because, yeah? Because the deity is not different of the Lord, and the Lord is pure. So when we come in contact with the deity or the holy or the holy place, we become purified. Okay. Yeah. Well, we used to have many bad habits, but by con- by um, contact with um, by visiting temple, contact with devotees. The- Automatically, those um, um, bad habits corrected, or develop develop more good habits. Yeah, and Prabhupada talks about this a lot, especially in regard to families worshiping the deity at home. I mean, the concept is that renunciates are supposed to already be having good habits. That's the idea. Although nowadays, just because you're not married doesn't, you know what I'm saying? So in a modern society, many, many people are not married, but they're not renunciants. Whereas, you know, Shiva Prabhupada's purports in the Shastra is assuming that either you're married or you're a renunciant. You know, so you have to always keep that in, in mind. And he's talking about family life. He's basically talking about people who are not renounced. So... Prabhupada specifically says in the seventh canto that the deity worship is absolutely required for the families, he said, or their fall down is positively assured. And especially these habits that Prabhupada's talking about, you know, instead of sitting around watching the television, you're going to sit around having a kirtan for the deities. Instead of going out to a restaurant or hotel, you're going to cook for the deities. You know, instead of just decorating your own home, you're going to decorate the altar. Of course, to be honest, we have to say that, you know, many people don't do that. Many people keep the deity in their home and they do live a materialistic life. They don't really center the home around the deity, yes? I mean, we just, we just have to say this very, very, very frankly. So they, they have a temple room, but really the altar is the TV. Yes? It's just it's just fact. And it's it's more it's much more like karma kanda. It's hardly even karma yoga. I mean it's really much more like karma kanda. That we're maybe we could open the windows again since the machines are but, you know, I'm just a pious person and I have some connection with religion. I have some connection with God. Kind of like the Kanista Adhikari who says, you know, I see God just in the deity. I have, you know, my time for worship, my time for puja, and then the rest of my life is materialistic. But that's the idea. 
Okay? Uh, other benefits of seeing the DD or going to a holy place. Yes. Which some of you already mentioned. Mm -hmm. yeah. We offer something to the Lord. Jesus sent it. This uh, offering is uh, serving the Lord's senses and just developing a personal relationship. Okay, so by pleasing the Lord's senses, you develop a relationship. What else, specifically with deity in holy places? Uh, it, it takes control over the home and the person. Okay, the deity becomes your master, basically. Um, Is that what you mean? Yes, well, I have seen it often. Some person is struggling with some, some something with troubles in the mind, that, but after he dedicated himself to certain deities, suddenly it's a different person. Because somebody controls his mind. Okay, any other? He became completely dependent on the temples for cooling and sleeping. Okay, so one can become dependent on the Lord. Places we can hear from the leelas because the Lord resides up there and there are some questions. Okay, so you hear the leelas and you hear from the sadhus, right? And this is also true in our temples. If you come to, if you come to our temples with the deities there, you also hear from the sadhus that are there. Okay, something else? And it is also the personal form of the Lord. So personalism is established. And Prophet also talks quite a bit in these purports, especially 17, 18, 23, I think it is, about how the ordinary person who's not that interested really in bhakti, you know, the person, again, their real interest is in karmakanda. They want to be happy in the world, and they figured out that if I want to be happy in the world, I have to be religious. That, that's what karmakanda means. It means I want to be happy in the world by being a religious person. So they get a habit of going to a temple. And Prabhupada said, even if they don't go to the temple, they see the what? The chakra. The chakra. And he said, that's why they made the temple so tall. And it's not only temples, churches, mosques, we see that, you know, any place of worship in the world tends to be tall, tends to have a spire. And on the top is some sort of religious symbol. So it tends to be a tall building with a religious symbol on the top. So that even if you don't go inside, 
even if you don't know, do anything religious, you go by and you see, oh, there's the house of God. Right? Yes? And of course, we also take the kirtan into the street, and we bring Jagannath into the street. When you go to the uh, Muslim areas, they're, they're singing their prayer to the public, even again, even if you don't actually pray, even if you don't go into the mosque, you're hearing the prayer. If you go to the Muslim countries, even in the airports, right? They're, they're having the, they're five times a day, the call to prayer. So this is for the common person. This is for the, the common person, even if you don't go into the temple, even if you don't go into the mosque, even if you don't go into the church. There's a church with a cross on the top. You know, I hear that, what's it called? Musadim? With the people who sing, the Muslims who sing. What? Muedim? Muedim. Muedim. Muadim. Okay. So you hear the Muadim. And it reminds you. Even if you don't do anything, you understand? There, there's some reminder in society. So this is another benefit of deity worship in holy places, that it reminds people. And of course, we could also say this is true of religious festivals. It's supposed to be. Jadmastami and holy, Tashira. Of course, what's happened in our modern world is they have secularized all the religious festivals. Unbelievable. You know, it's such an easy way for ordinary karmakanda people to, to gradually jump up to karma yoga and gyan yoga and bhakti yoga. I mean, it, it, it's such an easy way. You have a fun holiday. Right? Everybody likes holidays. Everybody likes festivals. You have a fun festival and it has something to do with God. And, and they just take the God out of it. Instead of Jesus, there's, you know, Santa Claus. It, it's ridiculous, you know. Or instead of Jesus, there's a rabbit. And you, you may know that some of our temples ended up inviting a lot of people by practicing holy. So our temple in Utah, you know, we would invite, we get like 20 or 30,000 people to come and play holy while we have kirtan on the stage. And we get everybody to chant and throw colors. So, you know, some materialistic people said, wow, this is a great idea. <laughs> My daughter-in-law likes to run. She runs in marathons and things like that. And when I was visiting, they said, we're going to go for a color run. What is a color run? And they run around in a circle around nothing. They're circumambulating a piece of grass. Literally, there's, there's a piece of grass that there's, instead of circumambulating a temple, instead of circumambulating a deity, they're just circumambulating a piece of grass, and as they circumambulate, at various points, everybody throws colors. And when you get to the end of the run, there's people on stage playing, you know, materialistic music, and everybody's throwing colors at each other. So they, they took this spiritual holiday, and they secularized it. And it's become a very popular thing now you know, color-throwing festivals. Isn't it interesting? You know, I thought, I thought, wow. 
you know, the Hare Krishnas brought this to the West as a spiritual festival, and immediately some materialistic people take it and, and secularize it. And this is happening all, all over the place with all of the religious holidays of the world in every tradition. You know, they're, they're taking it and making it into something else, into just something completely mundane. Yeah. In Belgium, when I was living in the main church of the city, mm -hmm. they were organizing arati in the morning, in personal arati. In personal arati. Silence. Arati of silence. An arati of silence. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> But they have some idea, you know, they have some idea. Or they're worshiping their book. In many places, they're worshiping their scripture. But my point is that there's some idea that the concept of deity worship and places of pilgrimage and temples and churches and mosques is to bring even ordinary people who are absorbed in their materialistic life to some beginning idea of consciousness of God. And our wonderful modern society takes even that very simple thing, you know, very, very simple thing, very painless thing, And, and messes it up. It just says, okay, this is just a family holiday and this is about spending money in the stores. Very, very peculiar. Okay, so particularly here, uh, those were the main points I wanted to cover today, uh, but I also want to get into it. Those are the, the two main things I wanted to cover about Vidura's need to go on pilgrimage how Srila Prabhupada is offering the same kinds of purification in our Hare Krishna movement and the benefits of deity worship in holy places. Uh, but I want to also look at some other points in this section. So how do you do a pilgrimage? So how many of us are visiting here in Vrindavan? Most of us. So most of, most of us, two-thirds, are here on a pilgrimage. <laughs> right? Uh, rather than just living here. So how do we do a pilgrimage? And even those of you who live here, maybe you do pilgrimages to other places sometimes. So sometimes you go to Mayapur. I mean, I remember, or, or some other place, remember talking to a devotee who lived in Mayapur for 25 years, and she'd only visited Vrindavan twice in 25 years, which I just found completely inconceivable. How could you only visit Vrindavan twice in 25 years? <laughs> so how do we do pilgrimage? Um... What I'd like you each to do just on your own, just on your own, is to go through these verses and we're just going to take five minutes. Make a list of all of the ways in which Vidura did pilgrimage. What were the important things that he did? And let's see how many of us get the same things. I've picked out one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. I have found eleven things that Vidura did to do a proper pilgrimage. So let's see how many we can find. Okay, let's see what we came up with. By the way, you're going to have to leave at 4.30 every day. Okay. Give me something. Keep 
Yeah, but how to how? This was a how. How? Vitara went to different rivers, hills. So we go to Govardhan Hill. Well, what's the method of going to uh, Govardhan places? Because we're going thinking of Krishna. Okay. Meditating. I'm Krishna. I love you. What's something else listed? Taking bath in the holy river. Taking bath. Saving. Parikramas. Performing duties to please the Lord. Duties to please the Lord. Krishna was not 
Okay, I have I found a few more. Seeing the places as a lotus feet of the Lord. So that's the idea. That's why it's called Pratisavana, seeing the places. This is a very small foot choice. And falling vows. Yes, okay. And eagerly searching for Krishna. Excellent. Reading a Brahmachari life. Actually, it doesn't say that, but of course you did. It's it's from purport, actually. <laughs> oh, it is? Yeah, eagerly searching petitions in the purport. Yes, I was talking about the Brahmachari. Oh, Brahmachari. I don't think it's particularly mentioned. But yeah, what I got, I think we got all this. He traveled alone, he meditated on Krishna, understood the holy places of the Lord's lotus feet, taking vows. Not trying to be pleasing. To, oh, this is something nobody said. Not trying to please society. Only yes, trying no to social formality. No social formality. Okay. Only being pleasing to God. Living independently. In other words, by begging, not depending on anybody else. Unnoticed by family. Minimum personal care. We got that. Remembering and glorifying the Lord. Doing proper rituals with the mood of searching for the Lord. And Prabhupada says this really cool thing in uh, 24 purport. He says, a devotee's eagerly searching after Krishna is as good as him seeing him personally. How this is so cannot be explained, but is factually realized by those who are pure devotees of the Lord. Philosophically, one can understand that Lord Krishna and his remembrance are on the absolute plane, and that the very idea of searching for him at Vrindavan in pure God consciousness gives more pleasure to the devotee than seeing him face to face, such devotees of the Lord see him face to face at every moment. <laughs> the very idea of searching for Krishna gives the devotees more pleasure than seeing the Lord face to face and they see him face to face. That's the kind of thing you could puzzle over for a while. For no, yes, for no material benefit. Okay, I want to do um, one last little thing, but before I do that, because I need to take care of Govinda here. So you have a. There's nothing wrong with my wanting to take care of you. That's, that's my service. Take care of everybody. You're part of everybody. That's okay. Um, so you have a home home task for tomorrow. So I gave you a home task for next Tuesday and Wednesday already, right? You weren't here. So you ask one of the other students what the home task is for Tuesday and Wednesday. Okay? You already got it. Okay, so now you have a home task, homework, home fun, home play. This is for tomorrow. Okay, so for tomorrow, we're looking at these people. Vasudev. Rudrasena. Samba. 
Yuyujana, also called Satyaki, Kura, Devaki, Anuruddha, Riddhika, Charu, Deshna, Gada, Satchabama. Again, I'm going to run out of room. This is really. Okay. Yudhisthira, Bhima, Arjuna, Nakula. Two here. Sahadev and Duryodhana. Okay, so I want you to come to class tomorrow. Pick two, any two, and come with some information points about them. Okay. Let's hit at least at least five points. So pick any two from this list and have at least five points of information. Okay, and we're going to use that in an activity. So if you're not prepared with that, it will be very sad and we'll all cry. Should we divide um, okay, sure, we can do that. That's a good idea. What did she say? She said that we should decide who we're going to pick now. Okay. Let's just go. We can take your first choice. Tarani, what's your first choice? Okay. It's an advantage to go first, as you like. Who would you like to pick? First, no. First, pick just one. <laughs> which which one do you want to pick first? Vasudev. Okay, and you're Gopal Guru, right? Did I get you right? Yeah. As a disciple of Vikeshwara Pandit. Okay, and what's your name again? Pavitra Nityananda. Nityananda. Okay. Pavitra Nityananda, who would you like to pick? Nityananda. Okay. And what's your name again? Rina? Arjun. Arjun. R-E-E-N-A, right? Correct? Did I get it right? Kasturika? Aniruddha. Aniruddha. Now watch me. Devaki. Okay, go in there. Sanjay Bhama. And so what's your name? 
Gobi, Gobi Priya. Gobi Priya, you want to? You just do. You just do. <laughs> Tiny? Um, Gobi Priya. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Krishna Kirtan? Nima. Nima. <laughs> and what's your name again? I'm sorry. Prema Tarangini. Prema Tarangini? Yes. Ugrasena, uh, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I don't know if we'll be able to have everyone pick two, it's not going to work. Samba. Samba, and what's your name again? Sachi Kumar Das. Sachi Kumar. Yeah, it looks like we're just going to have more just one. Nakula. Uh, Nakula, what's your name? Tadit Krishna. That's right, you tell me. Okay, Tadit Krishna. Tadit means electricity or current. What? Tadit means electricity or current. Tadit means electricity. Tadit means Krishna like a lightning. Ah, we didn't need the power to go on. <laughs> <laughs> You've done it. And what's your name again? Tibubanan. Tibubanan. Right? Yeah. And we can take another year. <coughs> Alright, well, it looks like we don't have very many left. We just have this, this. We only have four. But you said to us to pick up two. Yeah, but I didn't realize we weren't, it wasn't going to be enough. Alright. Um, I guess if anybody wants to do, you got you got these. Anybody want to take another one? Any volunteer to take two? Yes. yes. Who would you like? Ridika. Ridika. Okay. Anybody want to take Charidishna? Okay. Come on, come on, come on. Right there, Gada. <laughs> All right, anybody want Gada? Gada. Gada, okay. We have no cookies. Anybody want Sadev? Yes, okay. All right. There's lots of more names here. Did I miss somebody? There's Ugrasena. Surasena is Ugrasena. Oh, sorry. Oh. Um, there's Jambavati. Did I miss somebody? Jambavati. Jambavati, did I miss? How could I miss Jambavati? Oh, I'd rather do Jambavati. You'd rather do Jambavati. I can't believe I missed Jambavati. I don't want to. How, how could I possibly have missed? That's not very good. What? Had any taste her? And Brita. Okay, and where have you been? Brita. Brita and Toyota. So can you take her off of Okay, we're going to take her off of... I'm Brita. You sure you got for these verses? Because you may be jumping ahead. Okay, because our verses tomorrow just go up to 45. You're looking in 45? Yes. There's also Pradyumna. We have Anirudha. 
Oh, you're right, you're right. You're our, um, so, Jamba Bhatti and Kunti are also there? Yeah. Is Drobody there too? Yeah. Okay, so, Tony, you want Jamba Bhatti? Yes. And you said who else is there? Kunti? Kunti, yeah. Drobody. Okay, anybody want Kunti? And Duryodhana now also is Now we have Duryodhana. So Duryodhana, Kunti, and Drabadi. You'll take Kunti, okay. I'll take Duryodhana. <laughs> Who's going to take Duryodhana? Okay. Last one. There's also, I forgot Prajuma. Oh my goodness, I'm really neglectful here. In my defense, I did this planning in airports. That's, that's my excuse. Okay, who wants Dropity? Dropity, I can take it. Would you include even Maharaj Pandu? Is he in the list? Prajuna? Who wants Prajuna? Here. What? Okay, did we miss anybody? In context to complete. Okay. Do we include like Prita? Well, Prita is Kunti. Kunti. Oh, yeah. So we got that. Gantari, Gantari. Is Gantari in the list? Is she there? Where is there? She's got to be in, the, in that list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm with it. Indra. Is he in the list? Indra. Anything. Indra's name is there? Where? Which verse? Just as I could have released with the characteristics of the Jewish people. So we have to look at the Shastra other places. Well, it's, we're, we're, this is, has to be the personalities that Vidura asked Uddhava about. So it can't just be any personality at all, but it's got to be Vidura asked Uddhava, that's maybe why I missed those, because Vidura asked Uddhava specifically about a list of persons, so that's probably why I missed those. All right. Okay, so I have one last thing I'd like us to do, and it's, it's interesting that this thing that I planned for us to do was, and you, you're free to go, whatever. That's fine. That's fine. It's totally fine. I just have to make sure I structure my class so that I get all the main important, most important things done by 4.30. It's fine. And yesterday, tomorrow, yesterday. Hare Krishna. Tomorrow I'm going to end a little early anyway. Because um, I have to do something. So, uh, I, I thought it was interesting that with visiting holy places, it was one of the last things to be mentioned. But it was mentioned about taking vows. Now, taking vows is particularly a dharma for what ashram? Brahmacharya. Nope. Vanapasta. So, what is the main dharma for the Brahmacharya ashram? Study, hearing. For the Grasa ashram, what's the main dharma? Charity. And yagya. Charity and yagya. For the Vanaprastha, what is the main dharma? Austerity. Vows. Austerity and vows. And for the sannyasi, what is the main dharma? 
Preaching. Preaching purification of existence, primarily purification of existence. So, I Prabhupada talks about that those in the renounced order should mostly uh, write books and give lectures that that's their main duty. But I would assume that this means all the renounced orders, although the brahmachari is supposed to specifically study. But this visiting of holy places, of course, is particularly for what ashram? The Vanaprastha ashram. It's especially for the Vanaprastha ashram. And we see this, again, in the world. There, there's a perversion of Varnashram in the world. There are people who are intellectuals and teachers and ministers and priests, and there are government officials, there are farmers and business people, there are artisans and entertainers and craftsmen and so forth, and there are students, there are family people, there are retired people, and there are very old people getting ready to die. <laughs> right? So the modern ashram system is when you're young, you go to school and you just have as much sense gratification as possible because your parents are paying the bills. And so you don't, you be as irresponsible as possible. The modern idea of family is that it's simply a, a consensual sexual relationship. It's simply a convenient consensual sexual relationship where uh, you accumulate as much wealth and opulence as you can for yourself and have as few children as possible to share it with. And the modern idea of retirement is you travel to Disney World and <laughs> the Eiffel Tower and the Panama Canal and things like that. And the modern idea of sannyas life is you live in a nursing home. And am I correct? Yes. And you prepare for death in the nursing home. So this is our, our modern ashram system. So when you're young, you're irresponsible. You study. You study in a life of irresponsibility. When you get married... Uh, you're simply having uh, legal sex and accumulation of, of as much opulence as you can, sharing it with as few people as possible. When you retire, you visit you know, various geographical locations or theme parks or something like that. And when the way you renounce the world is you move into a nursing home. And you renounce the world and become a, a Babaji in your nursing home, being entertained by Elvis Presley impersonators. So, but the concept, the concept of traveling to places when you're retired is still very much something done in the world. I remember when my father retired, you know, my, my parents traveled to, what did they, where did they go? Let's see, they went to Egypt, they went to the Panama Canal, they went to Antarctica, which he told me was very interesting. You know, so you, you travel. This is most of the people on the cruise ships are retired people. The vast majority of people on the cruise ships are somewhere between, you know, like 60 to 80, which is about the time of, of Vanaprastha. Yes? Makes sense? And this idea that, you know, your children have grown up and you have your savings from your work and now you can relax and, and see the world. So this is the concept, but the Vedic Vanaprastha is you travel to holy places. Why travel, by the way? To detach? To become detached. Because one of the things you get attached to as a grihasta is your griha. 
So you get attached to your home, you get attached to your family, and so forth. Um, it's also a very good thing for the next generation because in traditional societies, the children, usually the sons, would uh, stay with the parents. So generally, the daughter moved in with the son's family. Not always. Sargabhamabhatacharya, his son-in-law, moved in with him. He was taking care of his daughter and son-in-law. So it wasn't an absolute thing that it was a son and daughter-in-law. But the concept was that you live with your family, that at least one of the children was living with their family, usually the son. But if you think about this, you know, if you're living with your father and mother, then you don't get a chance to mature all the way. You understand? I mean, those days, of course, people got married very, very young. Lord Chaitanya got married when he was how old? 14. Lord Chaitanya was 14 when he got married. I think Bhaktivinoda was also 14 when he got married. That's very young. Gandhi was 13 when he got married. And the only way people can get married that young is if they're living still with their parents. So, you know, your parents are still looking out for you. It's not that at 13 years old you get your own apartment and you have to, you know, take care of yourself. But eventually, you know, you don't want to have your parents running the show your whole life. That never lets the young people grow up. So another reason for travel was to get out. I remember talking to one devotee and I said, one purpose of death is that we can't fulfill all of our desires in one body. We have to experience different bodies and we have to forget. And he said, well, another reason is so that the next generation gets a chance. If people never died. <laughs> <laughs> So by the uh, Vanaprastha couple going out on pilgrimage, they get out of the house. In management, they say, if you want to train your successor, don't come to work that for a day or two. You know, Sorry, I couldn't make it. My car broke down. And then they're forced to take responsibility. So that was, that was another purpose to, for, the, for succession in society, that, okay, we're 50, 55, whatever it may be, and some of the children might not be grown up. Some of the children might, might not be ready. But you have at least the oldest son then is starting to take responsibility and run the household. So it helped to detach the Vanaprasta couple. They got detached from their children, their grandchildren, their home, their business, their bank account, and so forth. And it helped to pave a way for the next generation. So this was one of the purposes of travel to holy places. Of course, there's also Kshetra Sanyas, like you had Sargabhama, Bhattacharya, and his wife. Again, they were uh, staying in a holy place. So Prabhupada talked about Vrindavan and Mayapur especially, that these would be places for Vanaprastha couples to come and live. That instead, you didn't have to go, like Vidura was going from one holy place to another holy place to another holy place to another holy place. Whereas uh, Prabhupada talked about having residences, especially here in Vrindavan and in Mayapur, for older couples to come and dedicate themselves full-time in service. So that was another thing. You come to a holy place and you do full-time service because you don't have to make a living anymore. You have some savings <coughs> and your, your children are grown up. You're not having to maintain the children anymore. They're situated. And so now you can do full-time service and you can do full-time service peacefully. Your, the other desires have been satisfied. You no longer want to have a career. You've already had your career. 
that's, that's <coughs> over. You follow? Your d- desires for sex, money, career, making a difference in the world, changing the world, is, is finished. Well, that's another kind of changing the world. But as far as going out and, you know, I'm going to... I'm going to make my mark in the world. So you're kind of done with that. Either you did make a mark in the world or you realize that none of us are going to really make a mark in the world. And so you're kind of done with that. And you're ready now for full-time service. People who try to do that when those desires are not taken care of uh, often have trouble. So the person who can go directly from the Brahmacharya ashram to the Vanaprastha ashram is someone who doesn't have those sort of desires. But if someone has those sort of desires and artificially stays in the Brahmacharya ashram, they're, they're not happy. They're restless. You know, they want to leave their mark in the world and they want their own money and they want their own home, etc., etc., etc. So the main hallmark of the Vanaprastha ashram, and it's, different, it's significant that this is particularly of the Vanaprastha ashram, not of the Sannyasa ashram. The sannyas ashram is not particularly marked by vows and austerity. It's the vanaprastha ashram. Why do you think it's the vanaprastha ashram that's marked by vows and austerity? Because still they're living with the wife. Well, they may or may not. Uh, Vidura did not travel with his wife. So a vanaprastha can be the husband and wife are still together or may not be. Srila Prabhupada didn't take Vanaprastha with his wife. Vidura here did not take Vanaprastha with his wife. So some did, some didn't. Yes? That, that's the change in their life. Excellent. Excellent. Yes? To transcend the body conception. Excellent. Vanaprastha is, is a bridge ashram. Now some people are going to just stay, are not going to go to a sannyas ashram formally. Only few people are going to formally walk around with a danda, but everybody's got to prepare for death. And everybody is supposed to die before dying. So the sannyas ashram is I voluntarily die before I die. If you voluntarily die before you die, then death is not painful. What's painful about death is I'm letting go of my identity. This identity that I put all this energy into in this life. Do you have any idea how much energy we put into our identity? It's humongous. Humongous. Huge, tremendous, big, gargantuan. (laughs) The majority of the energy we're expending in our life is to building up and maintaining a particular identity. which we do through our particular knowledge set. Each of us in this room have a lot of knowledge about something that other people may not have knowledge about. And we've built that up, yes? We get some expertise in something. We have a particular personality that we develop in this life. We have a particular set of relationships (coughs) that also define us. I am the child of such and such people. And we we work on that. We put energy into our parents, into our brothers and sisters, into our spouse, into our children, into our particular set of friends, 
into our particular area of, acti- of action, our karma bumi, so to speak. Maybe it's a career, or maybe it's even an area of service where, that we get develop some expertise in, some skills. So we have a certain knowledge set, we have a certain skill set, we have a certain type of behavior that we get really good at, yes? Certain relationships that define us, and this is where we're pouring our energy. Correct? Am I correct? Death means all that is finished. All of it. The whole thing is done. That's extremely painful. We, we had a, a drama we used to do called The Wrong Bank Account, where this guy, you know, every time he got his paycheck, he would put some money into the bank. And when he retired, he wanted to get it out. And the banker said, you've got no money in your account. How is this? He said, all this time you were putting your money into someone else's account. (laughs) Can you imagine that? So that's exactly what we're doing. We're putting our energy into an account that's not me. I'm putting it into this false identity. I am Ramila Devi Dasi. I'm from New York City. I have this child. I have this father. I have this personality, and this is where I'm putting mine. This is where I'm investing everything. And at the time of death, you find out that wasn't your account. So how to get out from this? So this is the concept of sannyas. That in sannyas, at least you stop putting any more money into that account. You stop investing in that account, at least by sannyas. I mean, ideally, if you're in bhakti yoga, you're putting into your real account a lot before that because, first of all, we don't necessarily know that we're going to die when we're 98. Years, three months, two days and a half. Right? We, didn't, we don't get a certificate. When you're 98 years, two months, and one half day, you will die. It might be when we're, you know, 16 years that we're going to die. <coughs> so, as a bhakti yogi, we should be investing in our real self from the beginning, but especially at the end of life, one is supposed to stop investing in the false identity and only invest in the real identity. That's to die before dying. And if our investment is in our real identity, then death is not painful because we're, we're, we're giving up something that we already gave up. I mean, it's something like, on a gross level, was saying how the modern sannyasas, you go into a nursing home. And I saw this with my mother, who spent the last year of her life in a nursing home, and she basically took sannyas. You know, she gave away her apartment that she owned, she gave away all of her things, she stopped all of her activities in the world. I mean, she had to because she was physically too ill to continue them. She was like a forced sannyas. But still, she stopped everything, and when she died, there was, there was nothing to die, basically. You know, I mean, of course, she still had a lot of psychological attachments to the world. But that concept, that before you die, you give away everything. You renounce everything. You walk away from everything. You're, you're civilly dead. So this is the concept of sannyas. So it would be very, 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 very difficult to go from the grahasta ashram directly to the sannyas ashram. It would be extremely difficult to just go from, you know, 
utter absorption in money and home and family to death. Obviously, some people have to do that by their karma. They die when they're 30 in a car accident, and they have to go suddenly. But that's not easy, and some, some entities end up in a ghostly body in that kind of a situation when they die very suddenly because they're not able to die. You follow? The body dies, but, but they can't die. So they're still hanging around the family and the business and the so forth, trying to talk to everybody in their ghostly body and getting very frustrated. You know, why won't my wife talk to me? What's wrong with her? Doesn't she love me anymore? But he, the guy, poor guy doesn't realize that he's a ghost. So the Vanaprastha ashram is meant to be a bridge. It's meant to get you to the point where you can uh, actually become a sannyasi. Whether, whether or not we formally take sannyasa is something else. Again, most of us, certainly us ladies, but even most of the men are not going to formally take sannyasa. But this, but this concept of becoming a sannyasi. So you do it through travel, you do it through going to holy places, and you also do it through vows. And through these vows, you particularly give up something that was part of your identity and your attachment uh, in the Grahasta Ashram. That's the, the concept. And that's connected ritualistically with visiting holy places. So again, even common people who don't understand any of this principles, when they visit holy places, they're told, oh, you're supposed to take some vow here. <coughs> when you come to the holy place, you're supposed to take some vow. And that's a good practice, even if you're visiting a holy place when you're 20. It, it's, you're preparing yourself. Oh, I'm in a holy place. I, there's some vow I should take. So I'm in a holy place. You know, I, I won't watch movies. I'm in a holy place. Uh, I'll, be, I'll be celibate. I'm in a holy place. You know, I won't eat any sweets. Or I'm, I'm in a holy place. I'll chant Japa every day. Some, some kind of a vow, either a positive or a negative one, that at least while I'm in this holy place, I'm, I'm going to do that. So we just have a few more minutes. Um, perhaps some of you here already have some vow here in the holy place. Um, but what kind of vows do you think that would be appropriate here in Vrindavan? Chant, 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 chant,
increase like in quality or quality either way. Either way. Yeah. Okay. And increase what was the other? Reading. Study. And in fact that's what we're doing here. And a lot of people come to the Dom specifically for studying the Shastra. It's really nice that we can develop, I'm sure Prabhupada is very pleased, that we're developing the Shastra study institutes in the Dhams. By the way, the Dom is just also any temple. So any Iskand temple is also what would be the other appropriate things? Sadhu Sangha, okay. So, what, how could we take a vow of Sadhu Sangha? Serving devotees. Serving devotees. Can you think of any other specific kind of Sadhu Sangha we could do? To consult our spiritual things with the advanced devotees. Okay. What? To consult with advanced devotees. Excellent. Have been down in the right place. Definitely. There's a lot of so many senior devotees to consult with. Yes, very good. Hearing Bhagavatam, Bhagavad Gita, that means morning and evening. Okay, so yes. hearing Shastra, not just studying, but hearing. Mm. Hearing Shastra classes. To go to go to on, to, on pilgrimage. Some devotees will take a vow, say every day to go to a, you know certain temples. And you notice that the local people tend to do this. Yeah. Is that something the local people tend to do? Like on a full moon day or in Kadasi, they'll do a parkrum. Do you have some specific sense gratifications we could give up? Sweets for many. Huh? Many. Well, can you tell us some? You live separately from your wife or husband. That's a little expensive, I think. <laughs> yeah, but it can be expensive because then you have to rent two places in the town. Then it's not charged here. Well, I mean, I know some people, I do know some people that when they come to the dump, they come regularly and they have an arrangement, the husband stays in one place and the wife stays in another place. But I think for a lot of pilgrims that would be... Um, they can have two beds, they can have two, two rooms, they can have... Well, why don't we just, we could, let's say, give up, one could be just sex, okay? We'll just... Okay, what else can we give up? You said there were many, can you list some more? Oh, can, uh, can you be specific? Forget uh, TV. What? TV. No TV. Okay, give up TV. <laughs> TV and movies. Okay, what else could we give up? We can give up persona. Non persona. Non persona. I thought I had to give up some great for me. <laughs> <laughs> and 
non-fried things. Okay, so we can have like uh, opulent food. Some people give up sweets, some people give up fried foods like that. Anything else we could give up? Oh, give those. Give up kirtans. No, no, no. <laughs> okay, and there are many devotees who take vows to um, be in some kirtans every day. I know, especially when Ayinder Prabhu was alive. There were many people who every day would go to Ayinder's kirtan. That was their vow. Anything else we could give up in the dumb? Oversleeping. Oversleeping. Overeating. Ah. Jalpa, gossip. Yes, we can. We can uh, avoid criticizing. Oh. I read Virgin Prabhu said that one year in Karti. He decided to give up criticizing, and I think he said he was only able to keep the vow for two hours. <laughs> so I read that in having a very competitive spirit myself. I said, I'm going to do it. Yes, yes, well, it was a failure. It was actually quite interesting, because when I said I'm going to give up all criticism for Karti, gosh, that was ten years ago. So uh, what happened was Krishna made me aware he basically flagged every time I criticized. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes. Yes. Every time I said something critical, like a little light went off. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then again. Karma Yoga be associated with Rupa Goswami splitting his brain? Give up making money. Well, oh, give up making money. <laughs> you pretty much have to do that anyway when you come here. I mean, you could come here to make money. But yeah, that's a good one. Because many Jewish, for example, businessmen, they don't see this on the list and they come, they do the thing, but they mostly busy on this mobile, calling different countries and that's true. signing. That's true. I mean, even materially, the idea of vacation was that you stopped doing your money-making business while you were on vacation. I mean, nowadays, with, with mobiles and laptops, people don't even take vacations anymore. Even, even on a material level, they don't take vacations. Wherever they go, they're doing their work. You know, we, we have this kind of concept now that work is somehow 24-7. So, yeah, to take a real vacation from your work. Excellent. Um, so what I'd like all of you to just, this is, this is not, requ not requiring it, but I'm just saying, if you haven't already taken one of these vows here, if you haven't already taken some vow in the dump, uh, you might consider doing that. What vow would you like to take when you're visiting the dump? And as, as a general principle, it's nice that when we visit a temple or we visit a dump to take some vow. All right, so 